I want to welcome a new sponsor. If the last couple of years uh, have taught us anything, it's that you have to take control of your own health. And it is clear that you just can't rely on the government or big pharma to protect you and your family. Now, maybe you've made that mistake in the past, but we can't make it anymore. We have now begun to see just exactly the harm that that can come our way. And it is time to take matters in your own hands. The best way to do that is called Z-Stack. Z-Stack is a specially formulated immune-boosting supplement that includes zinc, uh, I think it's Qcertin, is that right? Vitamin C and vitamin D. It was uh, formulated by Dr. Vladimir Zelenko, world-renowned doctor. President Trump credited his uh, successful early, early treatment protocol and his decisions to take hydroxychloroquine uh, etc etc z stack has been scientifically formatted uh, formatted uh, it is kosher gmp certified produced here in the united states i'm on it uh, in fact dr zelenko was the doctor that helped me through uh covid take care of your family zstacklife.com slash beck go there now present you with some evidence on uh, a massive Fauci cover-up that you probably have heard, but you have not heard the latest news in it. I honestly cannot believe, when we read this story a couple of days ago, my staff and I, we looked at each other and went, how did we miss this? This is enormous, just enormous cloak and dagger from the guy who is really the UK's Anthony Fauci. A cover-up, a lab leak, burner phones, clandestine meetings, in his own words, would give that to you in 60 seconds. So 40% of Americans with credit card debt do not know their interest rate. Uh, what is your interest rate? Do you know it? Are you paying four? You paying three? Paying less than three? Five? What is it? That interest rate can save you a buttload of money, hundreds of dollars every single month. And if you have high interest credit cards, you're probably paying paying double digits now, and that could save you. If you roll all of these into your mortgage, you could save like a thousand dollars a month. Imagine an extra twelve grand a year. That would almost well, that would almost cover inflation, which definitely is definitely not happening. American Financing. Call 800-906-2440. Go over what you have, what you need. They will help you find a way to save money, and they'll do it the right way. They work for you, not the bank. 
It's American Financing, 800-906-2440, 800-906-2440, or AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. So I, I read this article um, from uh, brownstone.org, uh, what, about a week ago, I think, and it came out from Jeffrey Tucker, and he reviewed... He reviewed uh, Jeremy Farrar's book. He's Jeremy Farrar is a professor at Oxford University. He's the head of the Welcome Trust, uh, which is he's the he's the largest private uh, investor in in gain of function and other things like that. Sketchy, I think, sketchy things. Um, and uh, he is. He was very, very involved over in the UK with the messaging and everything else and all of the lockdowns, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, Jeffrey Tucker, as he's reviewing his book, he says there's some things in here that kind of poke its head out at you. Um, he says, um, let me let me just quote some of the book. Now, this is, again, written by the guy who was. Anthony Fauci, by the second week of January, I was beginning to realize the scale of what was happening. I was also getting the uncomfortable feeling that some of the information needed by scientists all around the world to detect and fight this new disease was not being disclosed as fast as it could be. I didn't know it then, but a fraught few weeks lay ahead. In those weeks, I became exhausted and scared. I felt as though I were living a different person's life. During that period, I would do things I've never done before. Acquire a burner phone, hold clandestine meetings, keep difficult secrets. I would have a surreal conversation with my wife, Christiane, who persuaded me that we should let the people closest to us know what was going on. I phoned my brother and my best friend to give them my temporary number. In hushed conversations, I sketched out the possibility of a looming global health crisis that had the potential to read as bioterrorism. If anything happens to me in the next few weeks, I told them nervously, this is what you need to know. Uh, wow, that's and that's just the beginning of this. Jeffrey Tucker is uh, is here. He's the one who brought this to my attention. Jeffrey, how are you, sir? <laughs> Good. I, I love I love hearing all that stuff. That's just great. You know, he wrote this. Uh, Farrar wrote this in the uh, in uh, the book came out in August. I, how did I we miss this? It. How I mean, this is crazy. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I tend to read all these books because I'm just voracious. I've been writing about this ridiculous subject since January 2020. So I'm, you know, I, I love this stuff. But, but when the book came out, you've got to figure he wrote this over the summer. I think there, there might have been more of an atmosphere of openness uh, back then uh, that's since been sort of closed. They've gotten more hush-hush since that time. And I think maybe Farrar thought it was okay to reveal all this stuff since the pandemic is ending and everything was kind of calming down and he wanted to write uh, his story. Um, but now looking at it, um, you know, after all this time, here we are in, in January 2022, it, it, it's spooky and it, and it plays right into uh, a, a sense that we've all had that something went very, very, very wrong, wrong in the world, somewhere between 
the middle of January and then the middle of March. So, you know, what was going on? And we know now from their own words what they were doing for the better part of uh, a month or, or six weeks, they were trying to figure out if this was a lab leak, if the lab leak, and there were, he reports to being 80% sure that it was, and whether the leak was deliberate or accidental didn't really uh, matter to them. They needed to figure out the political spin. So here you have, and, and they, you know, they got on these meetings. This is, I think, he reports of something like January 30th. Yeah. They had a, a profound sense that this is likely a leak. So they met in a Zoom call on February the 1st. Um, you know, it's, so Collins and Farrar and Fauci and various other uh, health uh, 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 scientists with, with whom they were connected and began to sort of mop, map out a strategy for dealing with the lab leak. And it's it's not that now, I mean, um, he even said 80 percent chance um, he I mean, why would you have burner phones and clandestine meetings? Why would you be worried about somebody offing you if this was a if this was natural? It, it, that, that doesn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't make any sense at all. And I guess from my point of view, first of all, I've never been a. I'm not enough of a scientist or expert to know if it's a lab leak or not. Sure. In some sense, Glenn, it doesn't actually matter. What matters is that they believed that it was. Okay? Correct. Correct. So that's what dictated their, their, their response. So here you have the world's top, most influential ruling class public health, um, I guess, experts, blah, blah, blah. Instead of trying to figure out the demographics of, of death, the nature of the virus, you know, the best therapeutics, for example, uh, and, and being honest and open with the public about what was coming and what to do, they spent that critical whole month of February plotting a, a, a response, a political spin. It basically engaged in a cover-up, in his own words, with burner phones, clandestine meetings, uh, sleepless nights, and so on. So I think it's just a scandal. And, and you can look at other information that shows that that report that came out of Nature magazine saying, oh, it's not a lab leak. That was written four days following that first Zoom Correct. call with Colin Chachi, Ferrari, and so on. But here's what's interesting about that article. They sat on it for the better part of February and didn't release it until March 17th. Now, that was the day after the uh, Fauci, Burks, uh, Trump news conference announcing uh, the national lockdowns. The day following, suddenly they're, they're telling the whole wow. world, oh, it's natural, it's not a lab leak. So all of this is just, you can say, oh, that's just a coincidence. I don't think so. They planned this whole thing out. And of course, that article came under grueling criticism for the rest of the year. And now we know it was just, it's just nonsense. But it's political spin. Uh, so, t- so tell me, tell me a little bit. About, uh, tell tell me a little bit about Jeremy Farrar and the the Welcome Trust, because from what I understand, I know very little about it. But Welcome Trust is a, a group that I think up until the '80s, maybe the '90s, still were kind of embracing eugenics. Uh, I mean, it's a really kind of spooky uh, group, isn't it? Or do I have that wrong? Uh, but that's my understanding. So we, I don't think 
we have anything in the U.S. like it, except maybe the Gates, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, maybe. But it, it is private, but it's funded by a lot of pharmaceutical industries, too. And they dole out a lot of money for research. So they've got every sort of public health scientist in England on their payroll. So Farrar is a very powerful guy. Like Fauci is in this country with NIH. I mean, the NIH controls $50 billion. I don't know what the numbers are for Wellcome Trust, but it's... Uh, it's right up there. So uh, he's a very powerful figure. I mean, right up there with Fauci and the rest of them. And they... Really important guy. And he believes, like Fauci, in gain-of-function research? Oh, sure. No, they're, they're all dedicated to this, this disgusting uh, thing. Um, they think it's the coolest thing going. And they, you know, and they, they were working very closely with their friends at the Wuhan lab. And we know this. Uh, they, that's what you know, that's where they got the information about the possible lab leak, and they were trying to get the information out. Now, uh, Glenn, I didn't go into it, but there's so much we need to learn here. But there's, but we know from Fauci's emails that that the U.S., U.K., and Australia all sent a delegation to China in the middle of February. I mean, somewhere between like I don't know the 14th and 16th. It's very difficult for me to reconstruct these timelines because it's all so confusing. We have just mixed information. But there's definitely a delegation that went to China to figure out how it is that they so successfully controlled the virus through lockdowns, you know? So they come back from that, and this is all because tax paid and whatever, in part. Uh, they come back from that going, up. Oh, China has figured out how to control this virus. We know now how to do it. We have to lock everybody in their homes, quarantine everybody control the population and socially distance and so on. So then they had, you know, following that little junket to China, they had a full month to kind of work out the details. And very crucially, very importantly, they had to persuade Trump to do it. They had to persuade Trump to destroy the Trump economy. Uh, How'd they do it? For, for uh, well, um, now, that's what, you know, it's pretty interesting because Scott Atlas reports a lot of this. But um, so they they went, first of all, they relied on Burks because they figured Burks, he liked Burks and he didn't like Fauci. So they relied on her. She went into him and persuaded him that this virus is from China. It might have come from a lab uh, and we needed to stop it. Uh, and there, there's a metric we're going to use uh, called cases. We're going to keep cases at a very minimum. There are not that many cases here now. If we shut down the world, shut down the country, shut down all bars and restaurants and so on for two weeks, then we'll get ahead of it. Uh, Trump, I think, it was just a small meeting, right? We're talking about Fauci, Burks, Kushner, and Kushner had two friends, Um uh, with him. And they just met in the Oval Office and Trump immediately agreed. He said, okay, I'll do that. Now that was, uh, that was over the weekend of March 12th and 13th. He had already shut down travel from Europe, but it was that Saturday and Sunday so where it they is, mapped out a strategy for the, the lockdown. So, cause my feeling was at the time that two weeks, what mm. was a reasonable thing to do. Um, and then it just started uh-huh. to morph uh, we didn't know what we were dealing yeah. with. So it it was presented to him. Um, uh, it seems almost kind of casually like, look, this is really going to be bad. 
but if we just do it for two weeks, but I don't think that was their plan, was it? No, they needed two weeks just to kind of warm them up to the idea. Then after two weeks, they uh, uh, went further and said, uh, listen, we've made a lot of progress, but if you open up right now, you're going to reverse that progress. We need another two weeks. Mm. Then after two more weeks, I went to him and said, and so finally Trump, and, and meanwhile, Trump is being praised by the media, right? Right. So that was an unusual thing for him. Hey, he couldn't get, couldn't get over that. Actually, he sort of liked that. He said, well, everybody likes me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that worked out well. Um, and so he gradually, gradually came around. Glenn, let me, can I just back up just slightly? Because there's, a, some, there's something interesting that I might have skipped over. In the last week of February, because Fauci was writing CBS News at the time. I'm talking about, like, say, February 25th, saying uh, uh, this virus is going to come. It's going to become endemic. We don't need a vaccine. Uh, it's it's going to be bad, mm. but uh, it's, we're going to get through it. Because he's more or less saying what I would call like quasi-rational things, right? Right. <laughs> um, and then about about uh, about about two days later, the first evidence I can find where Fauci changes his mind uh, on this is I'm, I'm not going to say two days. I think it's February 26. He writes a private email of all people, to Morgan Fairchild. You probably remember her as the kind of the 80s actress, you know? Yes. uh, Could it get any more bizarre? Now Morgan Fairchild is in on this. Yeah. All right. Morgan Fairchild, yeah. And she she played Dottie in in Pee-wee's Big Adventure, you know? Right. right. Um, Anyway, he's, Fauci, old man, you know, is convinced that she's a powerful social media figure that everybody will listen to. And he writes her and says, listen, we need to start warming people up to the idea of lockdowns. We might have to close schools and churches and businesses and everything else. That, I think, was February 26th. Now, the uh, very next day, the New York Times, a very powerful daily podcast hosted by Michael Barbero with their top virus reporter named uh-huh. Donald J. McNeil. And they they ran, you know, a 20, 30-minute interview with the guy in which he's really predicting the plague, right? So he, he predicts something like 4.5 million Americans are going to die, makes no reference to the demographics of death, just really right. unusual a level of panic that was very uncharacteristic for the New York Times, right? Very uncharacteristic. Why would the New York Times be trying to whip up a public frenzy over, over the coming disease? I mean, it's, it's just not the style of the newspaper. Stand by, right? stand by. Hang on, hang on. Let me, let me take one minute. I got to cut you off. I have to take a one minute break and then we'll be right back. We're talking to Jeffrey Tucker, um, founder and president of the Brownstone Institute about his uh, article, the lab leak. It's fascinating. Uh, back in just a second. 9-11, almost 3,000 people were killed on terrorist attacks on American soil. And the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been supporting America's heroes and their families ever since. These are the people who went to war. These are the people who are first responders. These are the people who go out every day and, uh, and maybe don't come home. And they have young children and young families that are left behind. Tunnel to Towers. What they do is they pay off the mortgage to get the, rid of the financial burden. They bring the families into stability. If they're critically wounded, um, they, they go out and they help augment these homes so people can live uh, as an injured warrior, but they are still living the fullest of life. It, it is, um, 
it's a group of people that actually have done what they said they were going to do 20 years ago. Right now, you can help at $11 a month, T2T. We can take care of these people who are being shot in our streets or shot overseas. Our nation's heroes, the people who put their lives on the line every day for us. Join Tunnels to Towers, a Tunnel to Towers on its mission to do good in their honor. Donate $11 a month, T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. 10 seconds, station ID. Jeffrey, I'm going to have to have you back because uh, I've only got a couple of minutes here left in this segment. But um, uh, go ahead and yeah, yeah. and let's yeah. finish what what you uh, what you just started. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, well, this concerns uh, Donald McNeil, right? Uh, the report now. Uh, so he writes an article February 28th saying we should go medieval on this. We shouldn't use traditional public health. We should shut everybody in their homes and lock down the highways and, and block the planes and so on. So it gets crazy stuff, right? I just don't believe that the New York Times would be saying these things unless they had some kind of green light mm. from NIH, NIH, Fauci, and Collins, and the rest of it. In other words, this was the turning point. Sometime between, February, say, February 20th and February 28th, uh, when, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, the ruling class decided that they're going to destroy everything. And uh, it's super creepy. And I, we've got, there's so much we need to know. Donald McNeil, by the way, was later sacrificed, as you well know, uh, fired from his job and so on. Um, once he played his appointed role, he was no longer useful. And so he was, now he's just riding on Substack by himself. It's he just got COVID, by the way. <laughs> Jeff, it is really weird. I feel like we live in a, a Jason Bourne movie, you know? It's bizarre. I agree with you. And, you know, as much, and you are, uh, think about this stuff all the time as I do, and I, I obsessively read every uh, leak, every yeah. book, everything. And I feel like I only understand, you know, maybe 15%. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there is so much investigation. It's going to consume us for a long sure. time. For the next uh, for a long time. Yeah. Uh, Jeffrey, I'd love to have you back, and we'll continue to tell the story. Um, you're a great storyteller, and, and yeah, thank you for all of your hard work on this. Uh, Jeffrey Tucker, you can follow him at his website, uh, brownstone.org, or on Twitter, Jeffrey A. Tucker. The uh, name of the article is The Lab Leak, The Plots and Schemes of Jeremy Farrar, Anthony Fauci, and Francis Collins. More in a minute. The Glenn Back Program. It's how out of touch, really. I mean, Morgan. Oof. All right, let me tell you about uh, Charles. He wrote in and he said, uh, Glenn, I want to tell you about Relief Factor. At 84, my arthritis uh, is finally giving me a break. It's unbelievable. Thank you. Thank you for telling me about Relief Factor. Charles, thank you so much for writing in and trying Relief Factor. Um, I have the experience I'm pretty much the same as yours. Relief Factor helped me get my life back, and I, I'm glad that it helped you as well. If you're listening every day and you're in pain, please just try it. Try it. Stop, stop waiting around. You could get your life back. You could be out of pain or have greatly reduced pain. 
Now, it doesn't work for everybody. 70% of the people who order go on to order more. It means 30%. They don't see anything. Well, are you part of the 30% or the 70? Don't waste another day. Get your life back. ReliefFactor.com. 800-4-RELIEF. 800, the number 4-RELIEF. Or ReliefFactor.com. Go there now. ReliefFactor.com. Feel the difference. Number one book in America, The Great Reset by Glenn Beck. You're going to get it now at glennsnewbook.com. If you are a business person, uh, you run your own small company, you have any kind of business that you do online uh, or in you know brick and mortar, you need to listen to uh, hour number three of today's podcast coming up in about 25 minutes. I have I have a guy that I, I would pay him just about anything just to consult me um, and uh, and business. He is absolutely brilliant. One of the best minds out there, I think. Uh, and uh, he's coming in. We're going to talk about business a little bit and uh, how to succeed and what you can do to succeed. That's coming up in just a few minutes. Uh, Julie Kelly is also with us. Um, she's a senior contributor. I don't know if you've if you've gone to America Greatness uh, or AM Greatness dot com. It's American Greatness, the website. But they have a lot of great stories. They have uh, really good coverage on pretty much everything America that you might care about. Um, and she is, she's one of the people, one of the only people uh, that has really gone in and looked at what the, the Capitol riot and the people who were in jail, what their living conditions uh, are, what's really happening. Nobody really wants to do this for some reason or another. And Julie has a new book uh, that is out called January 6th. And I wanted to spend just a few minutes with her uh, today. Hi, Julie. Hi, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, you you are uh, you're welcome. Thank you for the work that you are doing uh, on January sixth. I mean, it's a it's a very difficult topic because nobody wants somebody to be able to go in and smash things in the Capitol and get away with it scot free. Um, however, what's happening is just seemingly radical injustice when grandma is going to jail and people like Ray Epps just we don't even we, we don't have questions even asked about him. That's exactly right. I mean, we do have shockingly political prisoners in the United States. We now have at least 80 men who have been detained and denied bail, not because they are a threat to society or a flight risk. Almost all of them have no criminal record. But this Justice Department um, is seeking people to be incarcerated, held behind bars, in some cases, Glenn, at least 18 months before they even have a chance to defend themselves in front of a judge or a jury. So this is punishment for protesting Joe Biden's election. It is an egregious double standard of justice. As you know, we have how many criminals who ran free in the summer of 2020, attacked federal officers, destroyed property, yet we don't have them in jail awaiting trial, denied bail. So here we have at least, go ahead. Who are these, who are these people? I mean, because 
nobody's talking about this and you can't really get anybody in Congress or the Senate to do anything. It doesn't seem like these people just kind of have disappeared and you don't know what to believe. So who are they? Well, um, the majority have been charged with either assaulting or interfering with law enforcement. Um, And so, of course, that's not anything we support. Although, as I explain in my book, Glenn, another uncovered issue is how police attacked and assaulted protesters in many cases first, prompting a lot of the confrontations that we saw see on little video clips. Um, But still, we still have a process, right? They are entitled to the presumption of innocence. They're entitled to a speedy trial. They are entitled to have access to their defense attorney and the evidence against them. They still cannot even access their discovery materials in this D.C. jail because the guards will not let them have access to whatever the lawyers try to send them. I've heard this repeatedly, not just from detainees and defense lawyers, but by judges And it's these judges who keep signing off on these pretrial detention orders solely based on the fact they view these people as insurrectionists who try to overthrow democracy on January 6th. It's absurd. But if they haven't heard, if they haven't heard uh, any of the the other side. And I mean, this is this is really uh, a very, very dark chapter in American history. If what you're saying is true. This is one of the worst things that we'll, we will look back on and say, good God, what was wrong with us as people? I completely agree, Glenn, and I think it is just contemptible that Republican leaders, we have a few speaking out, Marjorie Taylor Greene and Louis Gohmert actually went to the jail a number of times and basically finally forced themselves into this D.C. gulag holding at least 40 of these men right now. The others are at jails across the country and saw not just the deplorable conditions of that jail, but the entire D.C. um, Department of Corrections. But the difference is most of the men who are held in general population in the D.C. jail have been convicted of a crime. We're talking about men who don't even have trial dates in some cases, but yet they've been in that jail since February, March, April. They're still waiting to get a trial date. And these pretrial detention hearings by these judges, and I'm talking Trump judges too, have turned into one-sided hearings where these judges take whatever evidence the DOJ gives them, declares these men basically guilty, and incarcerates them before they can even have a chance to defend themselves. It's really shocking, and I detail a lot of it in my book. So, wait, why can we not get people uh, interested in this? I mean, the political people. Why is it down to those two congress congressmen, congresspeople? Because, as you know, Glenn, our Republican leadership in Washington is weak. They're cowards, and in many cases, they have gone along with this, quote-unquote, insurrection narrative. Um, You had Mitch McConnell calling in an insurrection. You had Ted Cruz, who finally had to walk back his statement. This was a domestic terror attack after he got pushed back because they have gone along with this narrative all along. And they view these people as not people that are entitled to any defense. And that just simply is not true. You have been accused of nonviolent crimes. They haven't even been charged with a weapons violation, attacking a police officer, destroying any property who have been held in the school act for nearly a year. 
and their trial dates are the middle of this year or late this year because the trials keep getting pushed back too because of COVID. It is such a rigged system against these men. And you know the juries are not going to be impartial. Um, and no one really seems to care. Well, I do. I just don't know what to do about it. What do we do about it? Well, I think we just keep bringing attention to it. And when you have Republican lawmakers on, I think you press them on it. I think your listeners need to call their congressmen and senators and say, we demand more attention to this. Go to this jail. Demand to find out what's happening inside of it. Call this DOJ out, not just for how it infiltrated, obviously, as we know, it's hundreds, if not thousands of FBI informants and agents that day, um, but also continuing to demand that these men are incarcerated indefinitely, awaiting trials that this DOJ keeps pushing back. So that is the only way to get attention is if uh, the, their constituents start demanding accountability for this political for the system of political prisoners. So there is a there's a couple of stories out uh, today. I just want to read some of the headlines. FBI's war on soccer moms. Uh, the FBI director, Andrew McCabe, um, comes out and says, I'm fairly confident from what little we've seen from the FBI that they have resources and reposition some of their counterterrorism focus to increase uh, their uh, view on right wing extremism and, and domestic violence extremists. Um, we know clearly white people from the suburbs pose a threat of domestic violence. Um, that just came out. The FBI have, have tried to backtrack now um, on the synagogue attack. Um, that was so clear. Uh, the January 6th panel is now talking about the 14th Amendment and invoking that so Bush uh, so that uh, Trump can't run again. How how devastating uh, and deep is this infection into real true justice? Well, there isn't. And this is why, Glenn, people need to reconsider what they think they saw on January 6th. This was not an organic uprising of Trump supporters incited by the president. There is no way that the Democrats just seized on this immediately to seek and, and fulfill all sorts of political goals, which is basically criminalizing political dissent. That's why I suggest that January 6th was mostly an inside job orchestrated by the DOJ, the FBI, House Democrats, U.S. Capitol Police, uh, D.C. Uh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Just a second. I think I need to spend more time with you because I'm up against a break. Uh, so we have to have you back, though. That's quite the charge in your book. Do you lay out the facts to to uh, prove that point, at least reasonable doubt? Yes, I do. I lay it all out in my book. The FBI's involvement, U.S. Capitol Police, why they kept the Capitol intentionally unsecure that day. These are the sorts of unanswered questions and the January 6th committee refusal to address any of that and hiding 14,000 hours of surveillance video from the public. Those should raise a lot of suspicions in people's minds about what actually what happened related to January 6th. Any doubt in your mind the answers that they were trying to get uh, just last week about Ray Epps and the FBI? There's no doubt in your mind then that 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 is exactly what was going on, that this was a this was a group of people that didn't have an intent to go in. But there was 
some sort of FBI involvement that kind of spurred that on? Yes, and that's why you had the top D, uh, FBI official refuse to answer whether agents or informants either incited or engaged in violent criminal behavior that day. That was a jaw dropper, and they haven't come back and corrected her statement at all. And she refused twice under oath to, to deny that FBI agents or informants were involved in criminal, violent criminal behavior that day. Julie, I'd love to have you on again for a longer period of time, and you can lay out all of the evidence here. Um, I am I'm going to go buy your book uh, today. Uh, it's January 6th is the name of the book. Julie Kelly, uh, Julie Kelly, she's senior contributor for American Greatness. Uh, but you have um, she has, you know, written for the National Review, the Federalist, uh, the Hill, the Wall Street Journal, Chicago Tribune, Forbes. I mean, she's not a uh, she's not a nobody if you don't know who she is. Uh, Julie Kelly and the name of the book is January 6th. More in a minute. Well, that's been a shocking hour, hasn't it? Um, let's see. Let me talk to you about uh, Car Shield. Right now, your car, what is the value up, Stu? It, I mean, if you weren't going to buy a new car, it's like 15%. Higher. No, it's higher. It's a higher. Uh, well, new car. I, I think the one I saw was used cars were up thirty seven percent. Yeah, thirty seven percent was the highest part of the inflation problem, with the exception of gasoline, which you're putting Correct. in that car. It, it's an amazing thing. I mean, it's almost like we're becoming Cuba. Uh, but if if your car goes down and you're out of warranty, the cost of replacing your car is going to overwhelm you. The cost of just a uh, a rental car while yours is in the shop, if you have a chip or something that has to be you know shipped from China or wherever, that is going to overwhelm you. What you need is uh, a monthly payment on insurance. Really, uh, the best defense against a costly repair is Car Shield. Now, Car Shield, I have had on my old trucks because I don't want to buy new trucks. I, I like my old trucks. They run fine, and I want to run them until the doors and the wheels fall off. Uh, and Car Shield helps me do that. And they have saved literally thousands of dollars in my life uh, $6,000 just on one stupid repair. I would have flushed the truck away had I known it was $6,000. I got there, and they were like, no, 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 Car Shield took care of all of it. Covered repairs? Best news of your life. It's CarShield. CarShield.com slash Beck. Go there now. Save 10%. It's CarShield.com slash Beck. Deductible may apply. The Glenn Beck Program. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Uh, hey, I thought I would I thought I'd give you some good news here. I mean, it's been a little heavy this hour, um, but uh, let me give you some good news. Scientists are now studying privilege and inequality in the animal kingdom. And they have at UCLA found that there are some inequalities in the animal kingdom. Uh, and they've been, you know, they've been looking for privilege, inequality. Uh, I don't know about intergenerational wealth, but they found lots of examples in the uh, in several, they say several species, and it was quite surprising. And they say we're just touching the surface of this now. For instance, the survival instinct and natural selection uh, 
it seems to include examples of species that share resources such as territory, uh, tools, and shelter between generations, but not necessarily with each other. For instance, the baby red grouse, uh, who aren't abandoned by their fathers, are more likely to succeed in establishing their own territories. But baby squirrels, whose mothers hoard food for the winter, are much more likely to survive until spring. And I will let me I quote. Mm, this is this shocking, is stunning, to me, so stunning so far. To me. Yeah. Um, scient- scientists say, and I'm quoting, uh, those young pine cone rich squirrels are children of privilege. Um, Unbelievable. I don't, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't know about voter suppression in the wild kingdom. I have, I have no idea. Uh, no idea. No, is, no idea if they're getting rid, uh, like the gray squirrel, if they're getting, you know, trying to get rid of their grayness uh, and admitting their grayness. Is it possible? Mm-hmm. Can you imagine any circumstance, mm-hmm. any scenario you could dream up in which we would identify as a dumber species than we are right now? Is there any way? No, no. To I mean, yes, I think there is. <laughs> We're on that road. You don't think we, but we could, but r- right now, right there now, is no example, there's no greater. example no. of any group any species, of people nothing. who have ever been dumber no. in no. any particular period of time. No, I don't think so. No, no, not possible. No, it is possible, but not currently occurring. Yes, and okay. I don't think even in cavemen, I don't think it was occurring then. I okay, think so we, never before have we been na- this now, stupid, but. Possibly in the Possibly. future. Possibly. I mean, okay. you know, I believe in the multiverse. Okay, you know, yeah, right. Okay. So <laughs> somewhere there's dumber people than us. This is the Glenn Beck Program.